0: Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: to the 123 show with me noreen Mayer, on this friday afternoon and since it's friday it's that time of the week for this week's agenda cafe my favorite time of the week and i'd love to welcome back on the program karen ko our wonderful co-host karen it's great to see you how how are you doing today I'm doing really
0: well, dodging the thunderstorms, but uh, managed to stay inside and dry and safe. And of course, great to be here with you as usual.
1: Yes, we have a fantastic topic today. A very interesting one. O- over to you. It's, it's okay. one that you've been well, sort of mulling around for a long time.
0: This is a topic everybody can relate to because everybody has had some experience with this. Today we're taking a look at how much of who we are and how we behave is shaped by birth order. So meaning where do you come in your family? Are you the oldest? Are you the middle child? Are you the youngest? Are you the only child? So. Back way back in the 20th century, uh, a researcher named Alfred Adler developed this birth order theory. So uh, Alfred Adler was an Austrian medical doctor. He was a psychotherapist. He was the founder of what you call the School of Individual Psychology. And, And his birth order theory claims that the order in which a child is born shapes their development and their personality. He also claimed that family, community and social aspects play a pretty major role in shaping a child's personality other than just pure genetics. So uh, we're going to explore that topic today and we have a great guest joining us all the way from Australia. Uh, We're welcoming to the program Michael Gross, who's the founder and director of Parenting Ideas. And Michael is a best-selling author of 12 parenting books and an award-winning speaker. He's also a former primary school teacher with 15 years experience and a parenting educator with 30 years experience. So Michael, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Karen. Thanks for having us. And
2: thank you, Noreen.
1: Great to see you. Now,
0: now, Michael, when you think about it and you think about birth order, maybe some people might think, Oh, that totally makes sense, it's totally logical. But when, when we go back to what I mentioned at the beginning with Alfred Adler, was that not a popular way of, of looking at um, families in the past? Well, when we go back
2: and look at Adler, we've got to remember that he was, he and Jung and Freud were around at the same time, so um. We tend to adopt a Freudian look at the world, which is very much an individual psychology, if you want to, you know, what's wrong with you, so to speak. And Adler, who was around at the same time, he said, No, if you want to look at someone or understand someone, you can't understand them within on their own. You've got to look at them within their group. So um, the first group, which we belong to, is our family. So he was the first one to actually say, if you want to understand a child, then you need to understand their family. So completely different, opposite view of Freud. So they were colleagues, but they took completely different views. And we tend to adopt more a, a Jungian, um, Freudian psychology, um, seems to be a little bit more popular. And um, that sort of group-based psychology is less popular, but I think it's makes a lot more sense in many ways. So it is very much common sense. And as you said earlier in your introduction, um, Adler was the first one to actually have said, hey, birth order makes a difference. But the person who put the most, best research into it was, um, was a fellow called Frank Soloway in the 1990s. And he wrote a book called Born to Rebel, And basically did a meta study, did a, a study of all the studies and he came up with the idea of firstborns tend to be more conservative they tend to be more take up more leading positions and he used um and he was a bit selective in his research because he looked at american presidents and other sort of world leaders and he found there's just a preponderance of firstborns and interesting in the us context because go back in the early days in the 1800s some of those were first of 16 in a family big families and he also noted that a lot of the the leaders of of new ideas or revolutions tended to be later borns so he bought wrote a book called Born to Rebel and I sort of utilized that idea and looked at it and looked and wrote a book called Why Firstborns Rule the World and Lastborns Want to Change it so um yeah so it does To me, it makes perfect sense, but it doesn't make sense to everyone. And one of the things which is interesting is, and a lot of people say, "Look, it it works in some families, but it doesn't work in my family." And and it's good sometimes to actually, once you understand the variables, you unpack it, everything starts to make sense.
1: Why does it make sense to you then, Michael? (laughs) Sorry. Why does it make sense to you then?
2: Um, Well. It makes sense to me. Why does it make sense? Because largely, it's a we all belong in, to a group, and so birth order works. And maybe it's best to actually start to look at why birth order works and how it impacts. So it's it's if you look at the nature versus nurture debate, and let's sort of go back to that. The kids are born with 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 um, with a temperament, and genetics doesn't you know plays its part. So things don't change, and temperament doesn't change. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, I've got three kids, um, two girls, and on the temperament scale, there's, there's different aspects. We look at sociability. If you look at sociability on that temperament scale, I've got what's called a slow to warm up and a quick to warm up. They're at either end of the scale. And if I go back in time and I took them to kindergarten as four-year-olds, my slow to warm up would go into the foyer of the kindergarten or the preschool and she'd sit and wait and she'd look around. And then she'd see someone who could she could talk to, and off she'd go. If I took her into a new social situation, she'd wait by my by my leg until she felt comfortable, and then off she'd go. The other one um, was just, she was off, you know, just making friends, not waiting, waiting, didn't have to wait. Now, if I look, go forward, they're both in their mid-30s now. They both make friends in, in exactly the same way. My slow to warm-up is still a slow to warm up. She'll go in and she'll she has to feel comfortable, and then she'll go over and meet people. And, and the, the quick to warm up is still very much almost extroverted in some ways. Um, so that doesn't change. Then we what we throw around a family is, is the family frame. And the frame is is made up of three things: your values as a parent. So what are the things that you value as a parent? Do you value independence? Do you value honesty? Do you value excellence? It's that's, it's that notion of the things that you tend to nag your children about, the things that you're (laughs) onto them all. They're, that's, they're your values. Um, and if you want to understand your family or your parent values, stand back and look at what your kids have in common. So if they're all fairly independent, that shows that that's your, uh, I guess the, you know, your family, your your parenting values. We also have parenting style. What sort of style you are as a parent, and also, you know, the family atmosphere. Is it a tense? Is it a serious? Is it a layback? Is it relaxed? Is it a family which is very curious? We can talk about anything in this family. So those that, that family frame that accounts for the the similarities between kids. Um, and if temperament is something you, as a parent, you just got to work with, and genetics, and and that the family values is your imprint, or the family frame is your imprint. What we've we've got a third factor, and that's where birth order comes into it.
0: Mm. And
2: so birth order accounts for those reasons why you may have two children in a family, two years apart, same gender, been to the same school, and you think that they had the same parenting experience, yet they're so different. Why? Is, why are they say so different? Why is the first one so responsible and the second one not? And <laughs> that's where birth order comes in and it, and it starts to explain the differences. Um, and there's two aspects, and it works through two ways. Firstly, every position requires something different of you. So if you're born first, often a lot of responsibility goes your way. Mum and dad has a lot of expectations and they tend in you know, aspirations and they tend to go on that firstborn. Um, their shoulders. Um, And so when you're the first one, you want to be the best in some ways and you want to be first. And so when the second one comes into the family, um, suddenly you've got a rival for attention.
1: You've been dethroned, if you like. (laughs) You've been dethroned, that's
2: exactly (laughs) it. And if you're the third one in the family, you're born into a different position as well. So you realise if you're a third born that you can't outsmart and you can't outrun your elder siblings, but you can probably outlast them and and so, <laughs> so so each position require brings something different out of you and our research shows for example that youngest children tend to use charm and manipulation a lot more i tend to i prefer to call them low power skills and mm-hmm. oldest child will tend to use high power skills to get by which is you know you'll do as i say type thing um so it works on that aspect but it's also the parenting is different for every position as well. Yeah, so yeah. as parents we the first one sort of um child breaks us in as parents and we're stricter on the first one and as we have more kids we loosen up and we we give them more freedom as well. So yeah. that's I think how it works.
0: being, you know, when I'm the eldest child, married to an oldest child and I remember when our oldest child was born I was very um, meticulous about everything. And there's this great joke that, that goes that sterilizing is what you do to your first child's dummy by boiling it and to your third child's dummy by blowing on it. Because by the time the third child comes around, you're like, they'll survive the germs. It'll be okay. So so then it's interesting because obviously the way we behave as parents affects how our children, you know, receive all these these values and and what we expect of them, so should parents change their behaviour then with subsequent children to level the playing field, or can we just inevitably not do that?
2: oh uh, Karen, that's 1st burnout. Only a first-born <laughs> would ask that question. <laughs> a younger-born would probably re- respond and say, Ah, oh, so what? What do you do about it? This is roll with the punches. Um, look, it's a good question. Uh, it's it's a good it's a good question. I think. That I think birth order where it's, you know, we don't, we don't, I think you've got to roll with the punches. I think you get a good understanding of your kids. Um, and I think birth order provides that with a, a good understanding. Um, and I think when you know better, you do better. So and I think there's certain tips that we should keep in mind and certain principles we should keep in mind about each position as we raise them. Um, so I think it's useful in that, that response. Um, and I think also where birth order works as a, as a, as a family or as, where it's useful as a parent is that it just gives you more, a more and greater understanding of how to manage your kids, how to motivate your kids and even how to relate to your kids. So if an example is, is that what do I mean by that? Well, firstborns tend to be more achievement oriented. And when we have start to look at and the research shows is that firstborns tend to be more perfectionistic than any other position. And one of the reasons is that approval is really important to them. And the firstborn is what we call the family conservative. And the family conservative, what I mean by that is if you're an academic family, there's a reasonable chance the firstborn will be an academic. will go down that path. Wow. Um, And there's lots of examples in in, in Australia. There's a great example of of, um, where we've got two siblings uh, who are high-profile the eldest sibling is is very left-wing and you think well he's not a conservative yes he is his father is a very left-wing person as well so he's gone down that track and his brother the younger brother is very much was a conservative politician so so the firstborns tend to be the what I call the family conservatives so they'll though and there's a lot of responsibility goes their way a lot of expectations tend to go on their shoulders and so they tend to be a little bit more perfectionistic research also shows they tend to be more introverted so they they're more towards introversion and also to that they tend to be a little bit more anxious as well anxiety that's why they're detailed people etc so it's just good to know that stuff i mean not every firstborn is like that but there's a majority there is a preponderance of firstborns who are like that um i will preface it by saying that it's often how, how you're parented as well. So sometimes parents will treat their second born like a firstborn. They'll okay. give the responsibility to the second one. Sometimes gender plays a part, sometimes different family circumstances play a part. And so it is it generally the first one or the eldest child is more like you know, what we call the firstborn. But sometimes, in some circumstances, the second born will be that way. And that's why I prefer to call it a family constellation. Um, Every every family or just like a a constellation of stars has its own pattern, every family has its own pattern. Mm. So once you understand the variables, then it makes sense.
0: What what about the notorious middle child?
2: (laughs) (laughs) The middle child. All right, let's unpack the middle child. So, um, well, what? Straight up, I always say the middle kids tend to be more resilient and largely because they've always fit them with the life of someone else. And if you're a true middle, then a true middle means that you've got kids of all of one gender and you're somewhere in the middle somewhere. You may have four children all of one gender and either the second or the third might be the middle. By middle, I mean nothing special about me. In my own family, I've got three kids but my middle child is the first of the girls. So I've got a boy and two girls. So by middle child, just by her gender, means she's the eldest of the one who follows. While she is in the, in, and she shares some middle characteristics, and the middle characteristics are they tend to be more flexible, um, because they've always had to fit in with the life of the first one. The, the firstborn fits, sets up the life pattern. Middles tend to leave the family first. And she did. She left our family first. She went over at as a sixteen-year-old, to Denmark for twelve months on exchange. Because um, they often look outside the family for their sense of longing rather than internally. They also very high on social justice. They're social justice seekers because they think life's not fair. They don't missed out <laughs> the perks and the privileges of the firstborn and the easy run of the of the youngest one. And they are quite seriously social justice seekers. And it's interesting, I look at my, my middle child and she gets all those bills, She, and incredibly so. So unfortunately, because of family shrinkage, um, we have less and less middle children. So oh, in, nice. a, in Australia, so I'm not sure of the stats in Hong Kong, but you can help me out here. But I know in Australia, when I first wrote the book Why First Rule the World in 2003, the mean number of Children. that is the family with the biggest number was three um, back then. Now, 18 years later, I re- revised it and came out in 2021, this, this year, the mean number of children in Australia is now two. In actual fact, statistically, so I'll say it slowly, you might be able to hook into this and I'll be interested to know what's happening um, in Hong Kong. But in Australia, with children under the age of 15, 60% of, of families have two children or less. And it took me ages to work this out. But but of kids under the age of fifteen in school, only sixteen to eighteen percent of them in their family are surrounded by by another child.
0: Oh that makes sense. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I'm so, trying to look for the demographic equivalent here. It's hard to work that
2: way out. It's
1: hard yeah, to find yeah. that sort of, compa- I mean, it's the low birth good. rate in Hong, Hong Kong. got to do it mathematically. And also, um, yeah, some families don't even have children. No, yeah, I mean, at the
0: moment, Hong Kong has one of the lowest fertility rates in the world, which is 1.11 children per woman. So yeah, maybe we have the a lot of
1: single children. In, yeah. yeah, the yeah, mean is just
0: going to be one or you know a lot of only children yeah. maureen's an only yeah. child
1: oh Sorry? karen you let that out of the bag i was gonna ask oh, michael yeah, too, to, to, to to guess that but, out
0: what, what, <laughs> <the question laughs> that is so
2: we're we going to talk about only children now
0: well i want to <laughs> first before we get to only children i wanted to ask about okay i have two youngest questions as well one. yeah the yeah. baby of the family and then in in my personal case my youngest two are twins And interestingly, they're only born one minute apart and they were born in that order because they had a C-section and the one that was closest to the top came out first. But he is a true middle child and that fascinates me.
2: Okay, all right. So the response about middles, if you're looking at it from a birth order perspective. um, So first off, one thing about, oh, sorry, not middles, twins. So one thing that we know about twins, as I well, I call them a force of nature. Um, and I, I pity kids who follow twins. It's hard work following a twin. Um, but whenever we get twins, we, we usually get a first and a second. Doesn't matter which one comes out first, one will, will usually be a little bit more dominant than the, than the other. Uh, and that will change. Sometimes one will dominate more in a, at home and one maybe more at school. Um, and in some situations, one is just far more dominant. Um, it does a, depend a little bit whether they're um, the same gender or fraternal twins. That, that makes a little bit of a difference. But generally, if we're looking at a principle to work by, usually one comes first and a second. Um, so some families, and that's why I see some families, if you've got three children in a family and you've got a, an eldest one and then you've got twins, there's a reasonable chance you may have, from a birth order perspective, two firstborns. You've got your eldest one, and then you've got the one who comes in, becomes, you know, the eldest twin becomes like a little bit like a firstborn who likes to boss the younger one around.
1: Um, Michael, just hold that thought for a second. I'm afraid we've got a break for the 2.30 news uh, here. Uh, This uh, Friday on the Agenda Cafe, we're chatting with Michael Gross, one of Australia's leading parenting and educational writers and speakers. We'll return to this uh, conversation about birth orders and personality, whether it really has an effect on uh, how you act and how you behave after the news updates. Right, Karen. Let's continue with the agenda cafe. A fantastic topic, very interesting uh, to yeah, get sort so, <laughs> in right. a sort of psychoanalyzed. Right, we're talking.
0: Yeah, we're talking about birth order in in the family and and what it means for how we are as as people. And we're joined by Michael Gross, who's the founder and director of Parenting Ideas, best-selling author of twelve parenting books, and an award-winning speaker. So, Michael, just before the break, you were talking about how twins uh, can actually kind of have their own birth order uh within the the twinship i guess you want to keep talking about that
2: and that's yes so usually they take a first and second Um, so in a family of four you may have you can have a firstborn then twins come along you might have a first and a second then you have a youngest at the at the bottom so the second one might be a middle so um it's just important to remember that it's when we get large families as well we get Subfamilies, so so that's how families tend to work. But just from a twins, twins from a birth order perspective, they tend to be always a a first and a second.
0: Interesting. Now earlier we were talking about how families are getting smaller, like people are just not having as many children. So then, so what's the impact of not? You know, you were talking about how many kids now don't have a younger sibling. Um, What's the impact of taking out the middle child?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I think as a community or society where we, we've we lost a lot when we lose middle children, in some ways, if you're, if you're looking from a birth order perspective of the perfect package, middle children will have that because they have um, that resilience aspect is really strong with them. They have good people skills as well. And that's just natural. They pick up people skills from their family. I mean, I think it's, I have a saying, it's just you practice on your siblings, and we learn a hell of a lot from the way we interact with our siblings in the early years. So we learn how to, what our position is, but we also develop a great deal of of skills. And so you develop terrific skills when you're surrounded by siblings, and it stands you in really good stead when you go to school and later on. Um, And so from that perspective, I think we we lose a lot. and if you, by, by not having middle children, what we're actually starting to see now is that we've got more firstborns. So into Hong Kong, you probably had a lot of firstborns anyway, as a percentage of the population. And we're starting to see more firstborns as a percentage of the school population. Interestingly, what we've had um, over the, the last five or six years is more anxiety within schools. It's now the number one mental health issue. Um, Birth order is not to blame for that, but it is one of those factors which I keep reminding teachers about the fact that you have more firstborns, you have more perfectionists, you have more detailed-oriented people. You uh, and anxiety is going to be part of the deal. So you need to embed um, well being principles into your classrooms, and as parents, you need to embed that into to your into your family for young people as well. So that's another aspect. I think we with family shrinkage is the simple fact that we um, are going to have more mental health issues with kids. So it impacts in those
1: ways. Yeah. Uh, We are live this afternoon on Facebook as well, so we'd love for our listeners to be viewers today. Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3, you'll be able to comment and perhaps put your question directly uh, to Michael, who's one of Australia's leading parenting and educational writers and speakers. Twelve books under his belt. Carlos writes in to say, uh, interesting discussion. Just wondering, what about second to the youngest in a brood of eight? Wow, Carlos um, <laughs> Michael, any thoughts of that um, what was that one second second to the youngest in a brood of eight I think Carlos, perhaps do you come from a family of of eight children or have eight children yourself
2: okay. yeah and so how do we unpack that yeah. well, let's, let's just I don't know what I need to know is is who's above and who's below, but I'll give you an example of I am working with someone at the moment who's um, seventh in a family of nine um. And she operates like a firstborn. She identifies as a firstborn. And largely, once we understand the family, is that there's a four-year gap between her and her older sibling. She came along. Then she's got two younger brothers quite quickly. And so she was given a lot of responsibility to look after the younger brothers. So she identifies herself as a firstborn. Uh, received more relaxed parenting than the eldest one. Um, you know, she's she op- operates like a firstborn, so there's a reasonable chance that carl the second to the youngest could be a middle if there's if there's the last three children in the family are all boys and carlos is stuck in the middle he could be um almost a middle child in that sub family um one thing we do know is that the best position would be that youngest one imagine the youngest one having all those mothers and mothers and I'm assuming their are sisters, lots of si- siblings to look after him, um, and he, he would re- be a real survivor, there's a lot of a gap between that youngest one and parents as well so good position to be in. What we know from a birth perspective is the youngest one is, is a terrific position because they're never dethroned, um, right. well at, at the time youngest children generally don't like it um, because um, I think you alluded to it before that, that the simple fact, the youngest one. I know with my youngest one, um, with our firstborn, we used to have an achievement wall in our home where the work would come home from school and we'd go up there. Well, the young, by the young, time the youngest one came home and she'd give us the same work, we'd say, "Oh, I'll put it up later when I get some time."
1: Exactly. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> that are you? And this, this, this is why this is why birth order works because families operate so similarly across the world, um, mm. and, and so. And that's what, what happens. Interestingly, what youngest ones will often do is they'll, they'll be more successful than anyone in their family, but they'll often do it in a completely different way because the pressure's off.
0: Yeah. Pressure's I, I, have, I have an amazing story, actually. A friend of mine, she's, uh, there's four sisters in the family and the first three are very high achieving academically and in their careers. The youngest one has 12 children and that's her achievement. She she married uh, an American um, military officer. They live on a military base. And she just kept having kids. And that was oh. her thing that, her you thing. know, all the siblings were like, we're not going to compete with you on this. No, so, I... you know, she just kept having kids. And, yeah. you so, know, it's really interesting.
1: So we talked a little it, it, bit. Sorry, go on, Michael. yeah, no, no, you're right. No worries. I was going to say, so we talked a little bit about the, the, the eldest sort of, uh, being, uh, overachievers or, or great achievers, perhaps a bit neurotic sometimes. A, a middle child are often overlooked can be a bit of a rebel, but with good social skills can leave the family, you know, look outside for, for, for that sort of belonging. Uh, the, the youngest ones are often perhaps babied by parents and sometimes people will say they end up the most spoiled, which is a bit unfair because they've also had less attention dedicated to them. Um, Let's talk about only children. I feel like there's a bad rep for for only children, um, often labelled as spoiled and selfish. Let's hear how selfish we are.
2: I think if parents looked at self-esteem and achievement as a, of a well as a measure of a well-adjusted child. Most parents would stop at one because they do well on those on those measures. Um, so. I know in, in Australia, so I'm not sure of your situation, I know in Australia, a lot of parents who have, have only one child feel guilty. So often guilt comes with the territory. Um, and that's historically um, in our neck of the woods, we had large families. And if you had a small family or a family of one, it was often because something had happened, either mm. a marriage breakdown or illness. So I'd like to set that up, that there's a lot of guilt and around that. Um, but we, like you at Hong Kong now, more families are sitting there and going, I think I only have one. Or IVF has enabled people to have children when they haven't had them before. And in Australia, um, many people are having kids well in their 30s and they can only have one. So we're seeing if they were a political party, they're now part of the mainstream. So what are they like? I call them the uber perfectionists. Um, They're quite confident. They tend to be confident. And one of the reasons they tend to be confident is they get a lot of the parental resources. They're surrounded by adult concepts. Um, they're surrounded by a- adult language and they'll often um, develop quite quickly and quite early and so that's why I say from that notion of achievement and self-esteem they often do pretty well. They, they, they often go into themselves they feel comfortable in their own skin because they spend a lot of time on their own as kids and they can occupy themselves really well. Um, if they have one tray that I guess we need to be a little bit careful of. You said selfish. I'm not sure about selfish, but some of the work I've done in schools, one of the things we found, and particularly in, in preschools, is that often they have difficulty sharing. Um, and so I think what we've got, and life's pretty smooth if you're an only child. You get everything your, your own way. So I think it's really important that we make sure if you've got an only child. They spend time with other families so they can they can. they deal with conflict so they experience conflict they can experience the fact that i have got to wait at the table i don't talk when i need to when i have to i've got to wait my turn and so um that that's probably the one thing that that we've got to be a little bit careful for if you've got an only child to make sure that they experience other children and the other thing is that it's important that they i think in some ways they might keep pets so they could they they learn to um be responsible. Um, pets will often bring out that nurturant side in them. Sometimes the nurturant side, um, which we often, kids, you're, you're often that nurturant side is brought out of you by your siblings as well. So you know, I think it's good for them to keep pets as well. But yeah, only children, uh, nothing wrong with it. Great, great position to be in. Great position. You know, I, I would say also a little bit inflexible as well. Sometimes you can be a little bit inflexible.
1: Ah, yeah. N- Noreen, do you see any of yourself in, in those descriptions? I, I see myself a little bit as the only, only child, a little bit as a middle child, a little bit as the youngest child and the eldest child. I feel like this is a bit like horoscope, you know, horoscopes. You'll find you different it the way things. You want. Exactly, and, and the trouble with um, Adler is he, he didn't really have any sort of scientific research to justify his theory. He used it as a tool with his, with his clients. And personality is a bit more complex um, than to than to say the birth order that you're born into that determines uh, your your personality. Because, as you said earlier, Michael, it comes down to the parenting, and it seems like the parents shift their parenting styles from child to child. Um, of yeah, sorry, go on, Michael.
2: I'm not sure they shift their parenting styles. Most parents will have a default parenting style. Um, but they'll give it... I'll look at it another way. One way to look at parenting is it's about space and intimacy. So space, and one of the reasons why you, space is a psychological space. So firstborns don't get a lot of psychological space from their parents. Their expectations are quite high. Mm. If you've got a family of eight, the psychological space is spread out. If the youngest one in a family of eight... You know, you get so much space between expectations are are not high. Um, I always joke and say because if you've got eight, ki- eight kids, you'll get one good one. Um, so, <laughs> so the expectations are high, and oh, it, intimacy is quite different as well. So if you've got a small family of, of an only child, intimacy is there. Um, space is your problem. Um, I will also say one other thing about only children is is that there's some interesting research around that only children will often pick up. The same birth order position as their same gender parent. So if your mother was a second born, it will approach the world in a certain way. You'll identify with your mother strongly, and then you may pick up a similar birth order position. So I'll take your point that it is a bit like horoscopes in some ways, but once you start to do a bit of digging, um, and there is there is a lot of truth in it. And there is a, a lot more research now than there has been in the past. And there's been a, a lot of really. The difference about research around birth order is the fact that you need longitude and you need big numbers. Mm. So the, the Norwegians have done some terrific stuff around, around that. Um, and they found things such as later borns tend to be more extroverted, um, Firstborns tend to be more conscientious. A, and so conscientious, they tend to be um, more introverted as well. Um, they have looked at the notion that second-borns have greater, more friendship groups than any other group as well. So there is some research into it
1: yeah there's a lot of research that points to the big five. I think you touched on that earlier. Yeah, uh, the, agrees, the big yeah. five uh, are sort of the openness, conscientiousness, ex, extroversion, agreeableness yep. and neuroticism. Um, uh, <laughs> but a social psychologist at the University of Houston, uh, Rodica Damian, actually it was a big sample size that uh, he studied, 370,000 high school students. Wow. Um, and, but he concluded that in 2015, that birth order doesn't really influence the big five. Um, and it, it seems that uh, some of the experiences uh, in early childhood may not actually persist into adulthood. So we change as people. So <laughs> in a way, even if we were born um, as m- um, middle children, perhaps um, we were rebels <laughs> as children. That can change as adults. Um does, does that change from 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 your experience michael
2: no experience look we, we can all change it's, there's no doubt about it and once you once you're aware um, and that's where choice comes in but i think one of the things we need to look at is what i look at it is your personality what are you built for what do you default to where do you feel more comfortable um, what are your comfort levels and and so i, I find that interesting research i haven't don't know that I'm not not just dis- disputing that, um, but I find that's I, I disagree with the notion of the the fact that I'm not saying just because you're born something doesn't mean you are going to end up a certain way. There's a lot of variables will play out all through life, and particularly it's even I think it's greater now that a we're living longer and b the simple fact is that um, we we we're more aware as most most of us more aware as a community we're more self awareness. Um, is such a huge thing at the moment. So we can change. We Also, so when you're in a group and as well. So if you're in a group of three or four, we tend to adopt different positions as well. So you might be a firstborn and you might be in a in a in a job where there's everyone's a firstborn, and suddenly you may start to act more like a youngest one, which is a bit more creative, a bit more the ideas people, because that's how groups operate. Mm. That's how groups, groups, groups work.
0: Actually, it's interesting because obviously we eventually all leave our families and are involved in other relationships, whether it's friendships, love, relationships, work relationships. And do you see those same dynamics play out? For example, is there an ideal uh, sort of coupling in a love relationship between a a firstborn and a baby
1: or, you know, vice versa? Just to to balance things out. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. I actually don't think you ever leave your family most people would know when you when you go back to your family if you're in your 50s and your 60s you'll often go back and you'll take up those same roles as when when you're younger um and so i think one of the aspects and this is where birth order plays plays a part is that um the ghosts from the past are very strong and they come with us so that aspect does does come with us Now, as far as how how much does it impact our choice of partner and how does it play out within partnerships um from my perspective and i'm going to say this is my perspective i think that that opposites attract and so we tend to go opposites attract and i find it fascinating that a lot of firstborns who are married to each other or partner with each other that's a very organised, serious family. Everything's working super well. Uh, I'm not sure I'd want to be part of that family because I'm the youngest one. I'm a little bit more laid back, but I can tell you it'd be running really well. If you've got two youngest who are married, I don't know how the garbage is put out, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> and If you look at myself and my partnering, um, it's, it's worked. I'm the youngest in my family by about... Uh, there's four in my family. I'm the youngest by a long shot. There was six years between myself and my eldest brother, um, so I spent a, almost brought up like an only child. So a lot of time on my own, introvert, but I like being looked after. I'm a male, I like being. I, my partner is is my wife. Is the eldest of five children, all boys. One passed away. So as soon as I hear that, what actually that tells me is. Here's someone who's had to do a lot of looking after kids. Here's someone who was given a lot of responsibility. Here's someone who's going to move into their partnership who's got a good understanding of how men operate because she had a, her father was had a good relationship as well. So there's a lot of comfort there. So no, we work pretty well. There's a youngest born saying, look after me, and there's an oldest one going, oh, who can I look after? And <laughs> it's worked quite well.
0: Uh, in, in my family, we my husband and I both firstborns, both the eldest of five. The only thing we can't do together is move furniture because I'm saying, "You go backwards down the stairs." And he's like, "No, you go to the corner and go take that." Uh,
2: my my professor who trained me in this always used to say with firstborns when two, when when two firstborns are married, it's who's winning this conflict. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that plays out. So I guess birth order is one of the things I just want to put across and get across is that it's about the stories. We've all got family stories. And when we start to understand and unpack things and go, that's why it makes sense. So gender impacts on it. Um, Spacing between family, special needs of a child will impact, cultural influences will impact as well. So and and size impacts also on families. So there's lots of things which impact, but within that little frame, uh, and this is, and I think it has power within families. When you start to extrapolate outside the families, then we then it starts to, as Noreen you made mention of, I think that's when it loses its power. It, it's it's most powerful when we understand it within a family. Yeah.
1: That totally makes sense, Michael. I just want to see if you can unpack this. So you, there's often a struggle between the youngest and the eldest because the eldest will, will uh, in say a, a family of more than two or three children, um, the, the eldest will feel like the youngest had it easy because I've had to pave the way um, and I've had to bear the brunt of 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 the parents sort of telling off, and the youngest I felt will like that. yeah did you feel like that? And yes. the youngest will often be like, well you had the most attention, I had all the me downs. I didn't even get a new bike. Um, so, and and you're absolutely right. I think we resumed these positions. And I say that because um, my, my husband, um, also from Australia, is the youngest of three children. And his sister, Sonia, is a typical big sister, you know, looks after the family, has love ideas, conscientious. Um, but they will often have this sort of um, back and forth of, you've had it easy. No, you've had it better. <laughs>
2: Yep. Yeah. Um, look, it's true. It is. It is very true. I, 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 I always think you know, that the the youngest child should write a letter to their eldest sibling thanking them for breaking their parents in for them, because that's that's what they do. Um, mm. And conversations I've had, no research around this, but conversations I've had, this in adulthood, most people who who are the youngest appreciate the fact that. It was a good position to be in, and I, I wouldn't want to be in any other position because <laughs> I had an easier run. And my yes. siblings, you know, my four elder siblings, every time we meet, even now, they're in their seventies, and I'm in my sixties, and they still remind me that I had it easy. Um, yeah, yeah. So
1: it never goes away. That that's really good it never advice. Never goes away. Yeah. Karen, so, what about you? Yeah. You're the eldest. Um, I'm the
0: eldest. Um, yeah, I had to pave the way. It was hard. You know, I was the eldest and a girl. So what does that mean? You're not allowed to go out at night? No way. And I, for years and years, wished I had an older brother because all my friends who had older brothers could go out with their older brothers at night, and you know, meet their older brothers' friends as well. Yeah. So for, I think it, to be the eldest and to be a girl, where I was in yeah. space and time, which was in the you know 70s, 80s in Sydney, Australia, was was really hard. And also to be an you know ethnic Chinese girl. Even more hard because my parents were migrants and they were like, oh, afraid of so many things. And definitely, I think my siblings had it much easier because they they were just allowed to do everything at a much earlier age than I was allowed to do everything. And then I had to take care of them as well. So I just felt like this is really not fair. I would have loved to have been the baby of the family. That would have been really nice. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like being the baby
1: is a good position to be in.
0: (laughs) There is one baby position, and
2: actually, I, I probably should have mentioned it before, there's a, um, I'll, I'll say it very quickly, there is a new birth order position, which oh. has come through because of small families. Um, look, I, I'll sort this. Of say, second one, who's the youngest? So, second in the family, who's the, who's the youngest? Um, I call it the Prince Harry effect. Um, so, <laughs> if you've got two children, two kids of the same gender, first and second, and we stop at two, often we, the second born will be a little bit, shares the youngest characteristics, and if you look at prince harry and prince william they're almost the poster kids for that position so prince william born for the throne he's been trained for it. He's, he's, their firstborns tend to be rule makers they like the rules and he's followed the rules married the perfect person and poor old harry who's the spare and and william was the heir harry's the spare um he struggled to find his place he thinks rules aren't for me he doesn't follow the status quo he's doing things completely differently and I see that play out a lot. A lot of people tell me, yeah, but it's, it's the royal family, isn't that? No, the royal family is just like any other family except that it's, you know, it's very public. But, mm. And that's an interesting position to uh, as well. And I feel for those, those people who are second and also the youngest, because sometimes they're, they're not really the youngest. Um, that they're still trying to struggle to find their, their place. And we'll see more of those as families play out and smaller families.
0: Terrific. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, sorry, go on, Karen. Oh, my God. I was just wondering, like, knowing what we know, and, and that these, you know, there are some some common truths among birth order, how, how do we use this information? For example, when we're looking for a job, or if you're an employer and you're looking to hire someone, is it useful to know this is a, a, a youngest born, they're likely to be creative and flexible and fun, but maybe not so responsible, or the vice versa. You know, if you want someone to be very responsible in this position, choose someone who's the firstborn. No,
1: that's that's discrimination, Karen. <laughs>
2: it is discrimination. It's, look, it's, it's one of those – it's funny you should say that. I had somebody read my book uh, years ago and applied for a job for me, and she was the youngest in the family, and she, and she didn't think she'd get it because the position required more – you know firstborn oh. type characteristics and when she got the job she she said oh, now i've got to tell you i'm the youngest in my family of eight <laughs> okay um i think it's just useful to look it's funny be a, a, a certain certain industries are attract certain certain positions so law for example is is full of firstborns and that's two reasons for that it's a high status position and firstborns tend to go for more high status jobs And secondly, the type of work, the analytical, detailed type of work suits them. Um, And so uh, there is, is, if you start to look at teaching, in primary teaching in Australia is full of firstborns, uh, a lot of women. Um, So certainly they're attracted to certain, I guess, jobs because of that personality style. But I'm not sure... I think within a workplace, it might be just useful to know where your your workmate comes in the family because it just might go, oh, that's why they don't always listen. That's why, you know, and I, in the book I taught, I use a thing called a a birth order audit. So it's not, it (laughs) means nothing to me. That family, when Carlos rang up and said, I've got, where does the second,
1: to from the, the young- youngest yes.
2: I need to know I need to know the first second the, the gender the ages yeah. and once you start to see all the patterns you go oh that's where it's really interesting so it's it's just good to know your workmates where they might come in the family and the gap and what they identify
0: with yeah. Very. It's good coffee break, coffee break conversation. If nothing else, yeah. if nothing else, Aaron. if nothing else, yes. By the
1: watercolour. Right, we've got uh, just a, a less than a minute left. Michael, um, are you working on any books at the moment? And how can we find out a little bit more about you and your work? Are you on social media? And what's your website?
2: Yeah, parentingideas.com.au is... Um, how you can find out about me I, I don't have a website i've got it's also michaelgross.com it'll take you straight through to parentingideas.com.au yeah we've got a newsletter um which we write um, comes out once a fortnight where i'm writing about stuff and i'm writing about stuff and we support a lot of Australian schools we've got about a thousand schools we write for as well so you can get into our world with lots of webinars there at parentingideas.com.au
1: wonderful. Michael, it's been such a fruitful discussion. What an interesting and terrific uh, last show of the Agenda Cafe. I'm really pleased you could you you joined us today. Michael Gross is one of uh, Australia's leading parenting and educational writers and speakers. Twelve books under his belt. You can find out more about him and his uh, work under our link on Facebook. We'll post it uh, later on so you'll be able to join uh, Michael by checking out Parenting Ideas. Karen, you get the last word. It's yeah. our last Agenda Cafe. Before you fly off.
0: I know. I'm taking a break. I'm going to visit um, that firstborn husband and all those children in the (laughs) US. Uh, And since it's so arduous to travel, I'm going to be gone for a few months and we'll be cooking up ideas for the next season when I get back. So thanks to all our listeners and our viewers um, for staying with us and and following our show. And it's been great to be here. And thank you again, Michael. Thank you very much (laughs) indeed. Bye for now.